0: We're beginning a new series this morning in the book of Psalms, right smack dab in the middle of your Bible. We have been reading the book of Psalms as a congregation. We started, if you've been with us in the month of April and we will finish all 150 in the middle of July, but you can join us. If, you, if you've if you just new to us or haven't been reading along with us, please join us. You can start today. Just go to our website, go to you know uh, media resources, and you'll find our Bible plan. You can print it or follow along and join us as we continue in the book of Psalms. We're gonna start a series this morning. Let me just say a couple quick things by way of introduction. Number one, the book of Psalms, some of you or most of you perhaps know this, is poetry, okay? And as poetry, you just have to understand that if you're gonna uh, understand and, and get the most out of this study. The poetry, you have to work a little bit harder, like you would in, in any poetry, to, to mine the spiritual richness, and we'll do some of that together, but I wanna say that out front. Uh, also, let me say that the, the book of Psalms is, you know, uh, the, 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 has a great span of time, right? The oldest Psalm was written, it's believed by Moses, Psalm 90, three or 400 years before David, where most of them came. The last Psalm was written in the Babylonian exile in Ezra and Nehemiah, Psalm 137. And, and you know, it's a long span of time. It's a, it's a great and rich literature that tells us a lot about the story of God's people. It is the most quoted book, the book of Psalms, in the New Testament of the Old Testament book. Of all the books quoted, and there are many, of course, in Jesus and in Paul, and there other writers of the New Testament, the Psalms is quoted the most. It has many messianic prophecies in it. That is to say, prophecies about the coming Messiah, Jesus. They're found in the Psalms. Jesus, it's his favorite book to quote from. He quotes more from the book of Psalms than many other. And the book of Psalms has fascinated people, right? Not just scholars and, and, and writers, but everyday followers of Jesus for 2000 years. A couple uh, quick uh, quotes. First one from Athanasius, who was an early church father. It is my view that in the words of this book, the whole of human life, its basic spiritual conduct, as well as its occasional movements and thoughts, is comprehended and contained. Nothing to be found in human life is omitted. Right, Luther, the great uh, uh, reformer. The Psalms might well be called a little Bible. In it is comprehended, most beautifully and briefly, everything that is in the entire Bible. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the great German theologian of the last century. The Psalms occupy a unique place in the Holy Scriptures. It is God's word and, with few exceptions, the prayer of men as well. And that's where I really wanna focus on that last comment. Helps tee up everything I wanna say in the next many weeks. It is not only the Scriptures, the Psalms, it is also, with very few exceptions, the prayer of men as well. How is that possible? The Book of Psalms, why it's been such a rich resource? People love to come to it, past and present. Um, in in all of the history, is because what's unique of all the sixty six books in the Bible? It's the only one, in a manner of speaking, that was written from the position of from humanity. Right? It started out from man's heart, women's heart, the the, the humanity's heart written from our experiences to God, like a prayer, like you were writing a prayer today, I'm writing a prayer today, but somehow in the providence of God, it becomes the Holy Scripture, okay? This is what you see, and this is what, as Bonhoeffer said, it's so important. The Book of Psalms, let me say this, it's not a package to be assented to, like I just believe it, check the box. The Book of Psalms is really, in a manner of speaking, a confrontation. With the messiness of human life. But it's in the messiness of human life where God does his very best work, which is what I want to invite us into. So Psalm 1, let's dive in. If you have a copy of the Bible, turn it on if you're using it from your phone. And we'll just read these verses by way of introduction, just the first Psalm 6 verses. Read along with me. Uh, I'm reading uh, verse 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind just blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous for the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. This psalmist wants to open this book by laying forth a fundamental choice about how you wanna live your life, right? There's two ways. Not all of scripture is so clean and simple and direct, but this one it is. There are two ways, the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. Right? How do you wanna live your life? There are two ways, do you wanna live your life, do I wanna live my life in a purposeful way, rooted in the truth of God, the point of this simile, right? a tree planted by rivers of water. Do you wanna live your life in a very purposeful way, rooted in God and the truth of God and the will of God, or do you wanna live your life, like many people do, on autopilot? Right? Uh, just accepting uncritically what the world has to say about you or has to say about the ways of God. There's a very clear progression. Before we get to the central teaching, you know, this this simile, this, this image of a tree, which is about a person, which is about you, which is about me, before you get to the right way to live, he's gonna highlight the wrong way to live because it's hitting you in the face and hitting me in the face every single day, right? And what you see in verse one, not just the opening verse of this psalm, but the opening verse in the entire book of Psalms is a clear progression, right? From, from from the you know walking in the with the wrong crowd to standing with the wrong crowd to sort of you know identifying and sitting with the wrong crowd. But what you see essentially is this progression, it's one that leads to, this is the point, cynicism. Right, verse one, who sits in the company of mockers and a hard heart, right? Let me say something. It's a very dangerous path. This path that you that you just sort of drift along in, that people get people are on on autopilot. It's a path of cynicism and it's a it's a path of a hard heart. Let me say this: a lot of people are on this path, including a lot of Christians and a lot of people in the church. They're not uh immune to it. And this writer and this pastor, are here to encourage you, or trying to encourage you, and encourage me to take a different path, one that is rooted in a serious relationship with God's Word. Now, the central word in this opening psalm, and it's the heart, highlight of my brief uh, sermon here, what's left of it, is the word meditation. In fact, it's the title of my message, is Christian meditation and I and let me say a word or two about meditation or Christian meditation I, I shouldn't need the qualifier because medit but but I need it in this sense because meditation has been co-opted in a many ways by what's called Eastern meditation in the last you know six seven decades in our culture but they're not the same thing in fact they're they're they're, they're greatly uh, opposed to each other. The Eastern meditation, the basic concept is to clear your mind, or right? get out into the woods, or 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 get in, you know, some private quiet place and try to empty your mind. Listen, that's a bad idea. If it if it was even possible, because if you empty your mind, it's going to like a vacuum, be filled in with with a lot of the pollution that is out there in the world, all around you and all around me. Christian meditation is not about emptying your mind. It's about focusing your mind and fixing your mind on God and on his truth for the purpose of personal change, right? That's the whole point. A tree, you don't change overnight. A tree doesn't grow overnight, but it's a tree planted by streams of water that brings forth fruit, okay? That's the fruit of true meditation. It takes time. Two things, or at least two things, that I want to just say about it for you and me. How do I do that? How do I do that? What is Christian meditation? Number one, you need to bring all of your life before God. I need to bring all of my life before God, not just the parts um, that I consider acceptable. See, this is the problem. Not only with God, really with people, but certainly with God. I wanna bring forth to God the things that I think he's gonna be most pleased with. And those things that he's not most pleased with, I'm gonna keep those buried in a box somewhere. And see, when you do that, that's not integrity in a sense with God. That's, you're not gonna be changed. I'm not gonna be changed. If you want to experience change, if you want to be a tree, a life that's fruitful, you need to bring all of your life before God, not just the parts you think that are acceptable. Think about the first line in this, uh, in in verse two, the the positive um, illustration here. This person is blessed because they delight in the law of God. Now, just stop for a minute there. Delight in the law of God. If that line doesn't slow you down, doesn't stop and make you think, it tells me you're not a serious student of the Bible or or a very serious reader, right? Because the law of God, you would not necessarily associate that with delight, right? It's almost like saying, you know, if 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 you're driving down the highway and, and you got and you all of a sudden saw the you know the 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 lights on the top of a of a cop car and you immediately knew you were speeding it all happens to you in a nanosecond does that bring joy into your heart right you know do you delight in the law when you are pulled over for a speeding ticket well of course you don't I don't it does the opposite. It means it's, it's a sense of judgment and a sense of, you know, it, it doesn't bring a happy feeling. In the same, in some ways, is the law of God, right? What is the law of God? In, in this verse, verse two, he's not simply talking about the Ten Commandments. I think it's representing the entire um, core of scripture, all right? The teachings of all of the law of God, but even if it was the Ten Commandments, right? You know, thou shalt not commit adultery. Does that bring delight to you or you shall not envy your neighbor covet your neighbor's stuff or his or your neighbor's wife or you know uh, or, 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 or or you should think uh, evil of other if you have evil thoughts about other people which the Bible uh, uh, proscribes, does that bring joyer? Of course it doesn't bring joy into your heart right So how is it that the law of God brings joy? How do I bring forth all of my life before God not just the parts that are acceptable? quick story. This was probably a handful of years ago. Uh, I experienced what was probably the most difficult time ever in my professional career, my ministry. And it was a season, where this is what it felt like without giving you all these details. It, it felt like um, there was various pressures coming on me from, from multiple directions. It was almost like my little mini version of, of the book of Job. That is, you know, all of a sudden some, a problem happened with someone that I was working with. And it was like I had to put this, just as I was, I was just putting this fire out, another fire would start. And as I was putting this fire out, another fire would start. And this is what it felt like in that season in my life, a series of challenges, of pressures, in my ministry, and during that time, someone said to me, listen, encouraged me, a great a friend, brother, leader said, listen, more than one, you need to get some counsel, some you know, professional counsel, which I did, and I met with a, a guy, great Christian a man, leader, professional, for a couple of years, it was very valuable, but I still remember the very first time we met. We were only um, 30 minutes into our very first session, so to speak, and just small talking, and he said to me, listen, can I, um, do you mind if I make an observation? I said, no, of course. And he said, here's my observation for you, Rob. You seem like you're in a lot of pain. Now, when he said that, if someone were to say that to you, especially unsuspecting, it really kind of throws you. And I I remember, this was years ago, I remember, I I, I had a smile on my face and I said, gee, I, I said, that's interesting. But I said, you know, I feel fine. Now, you, I'd like to tell you that my answer was me just, you know, um, I don't know, it was, it was hiding my embarrassment and the two sessions later I said to him, you know, let me just tell you what's really bothering me. Thanks for helping me out. But that's not what happened. The truth was I had no idea what he was talking about. And, but, but what was true was, we found out over time, was there was real pain in my life. There was real issues in my life. He saw them, but I did not, right? Now, he helped me over time see these things. That was his expertise. But only God ultimately brought healing. This is what I mean when I say blessed is he who delights in the law of God. Only an extended encounter with God's truth can have the effect to challenge, um, let's say, superficial thinking that I have, simplistic thinking that I have or you have about life and about faith. And it's this tearing down, you might say, and this building up, it's this exposure and this healing that ultimately brings about the restoration of the image of God, of the image of Jesus that God wants to do in my life and God wants to do in your life. So first point, do you wanna grow? You wanna become a tree that's planted by a river of water, so to speak? You wanna be someone whose life is producing fruit? You need to bring all of your life before God, not just the parts, that you or I deem are acceptable. To delight means, to delight in the law of the Lord means again and again and again to to repeat the central experience of the Christian faith, right, which is God's healing, God's exposure and His healing, His grace and His forgiveness again and again and again. Maybe this is the application for everybody or for most of us, the question is this, Where do you need that kind of healing? Where do you need that kind of exposure and healing in your life today? Some of you know what it is already, just by listening to me right now. You know what it is in your life, but you've been afraid to go in that direction because you're not sure you can trust God to handle that pain or that sin that's in your life. Others of you, you don't even know the source of your pain. You don't even know. The source of what's really keeping you or keeping a me from the kind of fruitfulness that God wants for your life, right? You need to decide what is Christian meditation? It means you need to make a decision to bring all of your life before God, even not just the parts that you think are acceptable. Second thing is in this passage, in this great image, right? Blessed is he who's planted by rivers, streams of water. Uh, who prospers. You need to know God's word well enough to turn it into an action plan for your life. I need to know God's word well enough to turn it into an action plan for life. Again, just think about this central image. It's a simple simile, but it's tremendously powerful in in what it's trying to say. Listen, trees, um, this is a planted tree. Okay, Some trees or bushes may grow because of, you know, the wind blows in the seed and it's like weeds on your lawn, you know, and whoever planted this, these dandelions, well, no one planted them. They just found their way there through the wind and through the way weeds, uh, you know, proliferate. But this tree, that's not the case, right? This is, this verb's here to make a very strong point. This is planted on purpose and it's planted by a stream of water for the purpose of nourishment and growth. That's your life, that's my life. Is it your life, I should say, or is it my life? It has to be intentional. This tree is planted by a stream of water. There's a lot of truths here. Number one, the, the, the change is invisible to the naked eye in a sense. In other words, the, the real source of the nurture, the real source of the strength, the real source of the change is the water. You can't even see it. It's in the root system that goes underneath the ground and is connected to this source of water. Number two, this water, which clearly, if we had time, I would go through many, many verses. We don't have to for, I think most of you would know, that water in the Old and New Testament is a symbol of God's truth, right? It's a symbol of God's truth. It's a symbol of God's light. It's a symbol of God's power, the water of life. Jesus is the water of life. This water is something outside of yourself. That's the point. It's connected to something outside of itself. And ultimately it brings forth a prosperity, right? But what is the prosperity that brings forth, right? Whatever they do prospers. It's not, again, you got to we have to redefine these words. It's not talking about material prosperity. It's talking about a, a new house or a new, you know, m a new car or some kind of, you know job success, it's talking about inner prosperity. It's talking about the fruits of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, self-control in your life. That's what it's talking about. It's talking about wisdom and understanding and power, that kind of prosperity, okay? And then it says, this man is blessed, this woman is blessed as they deep uh, their roots down. What does the blessing mean? It's not talking about you know uh, some superficial um, happiness, right? It's a kind of joy that's beyond that that transcends our circumstances. How do I know that? Whose leaf does not wither, right? And it's an evergreen tree, even in the difficult seasons, even in the dead of winter, even in drought, the leaf does not wither, because this kind of blessing, this kind of Happiness, this kind of joy, this kind of growth, right, is not dependent on these kind of superficial, circumstantial things. It's rooted in a relationship with God. This kind of joy um, is sustained through thick and thin, through upturns and downturns, through, you know, uh, uh, um, good times and bad times, through happy accidents and, and, and major wrecks in your life. Do you have that kind of joy? Do you? Do I have that kind of joy? If you're a floating through life kind of person, right? If you have that kind of faith, it, 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 it won't happen for you. You'll be like the chaff that the wind just blows away. Joshua 1.8, no, no question, these verses go together. It's reaching all the way back. Almost the same words are said, listen to these words. This is the challenge that Joshua gets the great leader, Moses' um, successor, as he's getting ready to lead the children of Israel into the promised land. Joshua, keep the book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it, right? It's about turning it into an action plan for your life. Do everything written then when you do everything that's written in it, when you obey, right? When you actualize the truth that's in your heart through God's word planted in you, you will be prosperous and you will be successful. What's the point? Joshua 1, Psalm 1. It's a call, this rootedness into God's word, to think hard about the will of God, to think about the implications of the gospel, right? rooted. And nurtured by the word of God. It's not about living your life in an ivory tower. It's about facing the fight of your life, right? That's what Joshua's about to do. He's about to go into battle, right? You say, what does he need this kind of advice for? Because this is what's really going to give him the courage to do what he needs to do. What he ultimately needs is to be rooted in God's word, he needs to be able to take those. To have the word of God hidden in your heart, what does that mean? It means to gain a kind of understanding of God's word, a deeper understanding of God's word that you can then think about it and turn that word into particular prayers that can apply to your life and to my life that ultimately can bring about the fruitfulness that you need. That's what we're talking about, right? That's what we're talking about. It's hiding God's word in your life to to use it to bring about real change in your life and my change in your life. So, number one, what is, what is Christian meditation? It means bringing forth all of yourself to God, not just the parts you find acceptable. Second, it means knowing God's word in such a way that you can turn it into an action plan for your life. It's not a casual experience. And lastly, right Christian meditation, let me say this. Jesus is our example. Let me just close with this thought. Jesus, many of us uh, understand that Jesus is the Savior, right? Hopefully, he's your Savior. He's my Savior. He came to die for our sins. And that is central to the teaching of the Bible, of course, but he's more than that. Jesus is also, the Bible says, our example. In other words, he's uh, of how to live life, how to, how to live life in connection with God, how to be this tree right? How to be a fruitful uh, life in connection, deep, vital connection with God. Jesus is, um, is perfect humanity. He, in a manner of speaking, is not only our savior, he's also the life that we are all shooting for. But what Jesus illustrates for us is how this kind of relationship with God's word, rooted in God's word, can translate into a transformed life. Think about Jesus' life. Um, how the Word of God was so central to his life and how it came out and demonstrated its central place in his life. Just one example, really, would be the, the, the temptation of Jesus, which is you know recorded in the Gospels. Luke 4, Matthew 4, the first two places I think of. Why is it there, right? It's there to teach us this very principle, to teach us something, not just something that Jesus went through, but what you and I will go through, right? All are tempted right? Jesus was tempted in all ways, just like us, right? So this is here for our example. But when the great temptation, Jesus is tempted with both physical, let's say, weaknesses and challenges. He fasted for 40 days, right? In other words, it was an extreme way of saying all of the weaknesses that are part of what it means to be a human being, including even in this case, hunger. He's fasted. He was tempted with physical weakness. He was also tempted with um, you know, the world's sort of you know, glamour and glory. Satan takes them up to the, the highest mountain and says, I want to show you all the kingdoms of the world. I want to show you all the glitter and all the power and all the prestige. And, and to both of these temptations, which are very alive and well in their own way in your life and my life. I'm tempted every day for physical weakness, and I'm tempted virtually every day uh, for the world's approval and for the world's values. And for both of them, Jesus answers, with the word of God right the it it is written he he answers back from the book of deuteronomy in both cases even on the cross think of this it, jesus absolute hardest moment in his life as a human being as the son of god was in his sacrifice at at the cross and it says after he was on the cross just before he gave his, up his final breath his very last words are recorded. What were they? They weren't, you know, just some gasp of of desperation. Help me, or I need something, or give me a drink. It's not what he said. He said he quoted Scripture, the twenty-second Psalm, verse one: "My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me?" The very last words of Jesus to finish and accomplish what he had set out. God sent out for him to do was the Bible itself, the 22nd Psalm. It shows us the source of his wisdom, God's word, and the source of his strength, right? His life was rooted in something outside of himself, in a manner of speaking, the very words of God, right? It is written. And he's an example to you and me. His source of wisdom, his source of strength can be your source of wisdom, my source of wisdom, Your source of strength, my source of strength. If you choose to root your life in the Word of God, that's what this challenge, that's what this image is for. And if you choose to make God's words the guide for your life, the guide for my life, that's what this series is partly calling us into. And I I hope that you will think about it as we close and you'll respond to this great challenge to root your life deeper. In the words of God, let me pray for us as we close uh, our time this morning. God and Father, I just thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning. I thank you for all who are listening uh, this morning. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to think about this choice that you have set forth, right? It's a choice of how we want to live our lives. Do we want to want to root them intentionally in your words that they might trans- help transform us into a fruitful person, a person with with breadth and depth and, and impact, or Lord, are we going to just be, you know, carried along, you know, aimlessly, uh, Lord, uh, by the the winds of the things in this life? Help us, Lord, to be a kind of person who's rooted in the things of God. Help us to experience the kind of change you want us to experience, that we might know you for who you truly are, and we might know your purposes in the days to come. And we love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.